0: What an absolute joy it is to gather with you in worship on the beautiful day that our Lord has given us. There is just something very special when the people of God gather together in corporate worship, lifting high the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So thank you for carving out time to be in the Lord's house with God's people to make much of the mighty name of our King Jesus. And we're going to have fun doing that together. And I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank those online for joining us in worship as we celebrate Jesus this morning. Take your Bibles. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 5, the very first book of the New Testament, chapter 5, as we hear once again from our Savior's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We're reminded that there are eight proclamations of blessing that serve as an introduction to this great sermon. These blessings identify what we are calling the blessed life are the life that stands in God's favor and has God's approval. And as we unpack this blessed life and this kingdom righteousness that the people of God are called to live, we realize real quick that this kind of life, this righteousness that Jesus calls us to live, is really upside down in a backwards world. Today we're going to focus on the fifth beatitude, And we notice that as we do, there's kind of a shift that begins to take place. I'd mentioned previously that the first four Beatitudes are primarily vertical. In other words, our position and our heart before a holy and righteous God. Our position is being poor in spirit, mourning over sin, being meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now we're going to see more of a horizontal focus or our attitude and actions as a result of that heart before God toward others. Remember, the Beatitudes can stand alone, but they're also connected. Remember also that they kind of progress. They hand off one to another. In fact, we go to Beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, and it hands off to where we are today. Uh, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so, those who are poor in spirit really recognize God's mercy in our life and our need of that mercy. And not only do we recognize it and become recipients of it, but then we're compelled to be merciful to those around us. I'd like to read verses 1 through 7 in the 5th chapter of Matthew as we look at this next beatitude. If you're able to stand Let's honor God's Word by standing. I always like to do this, not just to give you spiritual exercise on a Sunday morning, but to be mindful. This is God's Word to us. This Word is living, and it's active. It's powerful. It is life-giving and refreshing. It is transforming, and may the Word of God speak this morning. Look at Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain... And when he, Jesus, was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then today our focus, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let us pray. Father, by your Spirit, teach us your word. Grow us in mercy so that we live out our life reflecting the character of our Savior. And so, Father, show us what we need to see and Guide us where we need to go and give us courage to be obedient today. In the mighty name of Jesus that we celebrate today, we ask this prayer. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The concept of mercy in the Scripture really goes from Genesis to Revelation, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man and culminating into the victorious return of King Jesus in Revelation. In fact, because of God's great love for us, He wants us to have a relationship with Him. But the only way that that is going to happen is if we experience God's mercy in and on our life. We will learn as we continue to celebrate the gospel that that love and mercy in, in God's eyes and toward us are really inseparable. Jesus laid down his life and became that sacrificial lamb on our behalf, Isaiah 53, John chapter 1. So God's mercy could be extended toward us. How did that look? How did that happen? Well, instead of punishing us for our sin, as sinners condemned under the wrath of God, deserving of nothing but death and hell, God allowed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our substitute to take our place, die on a cross, shed His blood on our behalf, to pay in full our sin debt. That is the ultimate act of God's mercy. Got one amen out of that. Wake up, dear Baptist. Come on. Doing the best I can. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Write it down, read it, pray it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is what the Bible teaches us. Our Father is a merciful Heavenly Father. Our Father who is merciful consistently extends mercy to you and I our father who is merciful and extends mercy to us commands that you and I his children recipients of his mercy go and be merciful toward those around us now dear Baptist we all need help with this thing called mercy but cause by ourselves, on our own we are not prone to mercy Look at number one on your notes. Again, it's the rhythm that that we see in the Beatitudes. Proclamation, promise. Proclamation, promise. The proclamation is this. Blessed are the merciful. Well, who are the merciful? What does that look like? Glad you're asking. I'm going to try to unpack it. Mercy and grace is going to be a lens that we look through first because these are two closely related concepts, but they're not exactly the same. I often explain them and the difference between them this way. Number one, mercy is God holding back what I actually do deserve, whereas grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. In Scripture, as we study these terms, mercy is often equated with a deliverance from judgment, whether it's Old or New Testament. And grace is always the extending of a blessing to the unworthy. Someone after church one Sunday, as I was preaching on grace, came up and gave me an acronym that was GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. And that acronym stood for this, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Thought that was a good way to remember grace. But mercy and grace, they're, they're compatible. They go together, but they're not exactly the same. Mercy, God holding back. And grace, God extending what we don't deserve. The word mercy comes from a Greek word that simply means charitable or beneficial. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 uses that word to speak of Jesus. And in Hebrews 2, 17 says, Jesus is merciful and faithful. He is our merciful and faithful high priest. So we can say that as Scripture shows us mercy, Jesus is the supreme example of mercy. Jesus is the chief dispenser of mercy to you and me. It is from Jesus Christ that both redeeming and sustaining mercy come on a daily basis. When we read about the life of Jesus in the gospel narratives... We see our Savior being merciful as He heals the sick, as He restored the cripple, as He gives sight to the blind, as He gives hearing to the deaf, as He brings life to the dead even. We see our Savior having conversations, even gospel conversations, with prostitutes, tax collectors, people who are depraved, lost, drunken. And he draws them into his circle of love and forgiveness. When the scribes and Pharisees caught a woman in adultery and brought her to Jesus with a demand that she be stoned, because that's what the law requires, in John chapter 8, verse 7 through 11, Jesus just simply exposed their hypocrisy and made this statement He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the stone. When no one stepped forward to condemn her, Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Rise and sin no more. He didn't condone sin, but he met her where she was. And he told her to go and live differently as a result of that conversation that they had. Jesus wept with those who sorrowed. Jesus gave companionship to those who were lonely. Jesus took the little children and said, let them come to me, and took them in his arms and blessed them. He is a merciful Savior. You get the picture, right? And the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, the same term that is used to translate uh, hesed, is, is used for mercy, and, and hesed in the Old Testament is used to describe the character of God. One of the primary translations is mercy, along with love and loving kindness and steadfast love. The basic meaning of being merciful is this, to help the afflicted and to rescue the helpless. To help the afflicted and to rescue the helpless. It is really compassion in action. God being merciful basically means that when we deserve punishment, death, and hell for our sin, rather than punishing us immediately and giving us what we do deserve, He expended His grace upon us and gave His Son who gave His life. Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding the punishment that is justly deserved. God being gracious is Him giving undeserved favor that He loved us while we were yet sinners. And He gave His only begotten Son who died in our place and shed His blood to pay in full the penalty of our sin. That's the grace of God. It goes further, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever turns from sin, and puts trust in Jesus alone for salvation, will be saved. Grace is heaping undeserved blessings upon sinners like you and me. So in our salvation experience, God does not show mercy without grace or grace without mercy. They're both active. In Christ, the believer experiences both mercy and grace. Though we deserve death and hell, God gave us Jesus who gave his life and shed his blood and who offers forgiveness of our sin and eternal salvation. That is good news. How do we respond to that? In repentance and faith. How do we respond as children of God? Hebrews 4.16. Let us then come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Our God is a merciful Father. And he extends mercy to you and I who deserve nothing more than death and hell. By the way, we live in a culture that thinks we're entitled to something. A culture even inside the church where God's people think that we're entitled to anything from a holy and righteous God. And I can guarantee you this, where we feel entitled, we don't feel grateful. And if we don't feel grateful, we'll never learn to be merciful. Because being merciful understands we deserve nothing but God. Merciful people relate to others differently because we've received mercy. We do so in compassion and forgiveness. John Piper put it this way, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. I know how to be merciful because God has been merciful to me. In other words, pure mercy is a gift of God. It's not a natural attribute. The most obvious way that we can show mercy is through physical acts of kindness. As did the Good Samaritan. Which one of these proved himself to be a good neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Jesus said, that's correct. Mercy may look like giving food to the hungry bringing comfort to those who are grieving, loving the rejected, uh, rejected, forgiving the offender, companionship to the lonely. Mercy is not simply having compassion, but mercy is when compassion finds uh, the foot leather that hits the street and there's action to it. Mercy is not just a stirring in our heart, but mercy is the stirring in our heart that changes the way that we live and and relate to those around us. Mercy is providing food and clothing to the homeless. Mercy is bringing meals to those who came home from the hospital. Mercy is coming alongside of a brother who has relapsed in in an addiction. Rather than accuse and judge, we come alongside and try to rescue and help. Mercy is sitting beside and praying with a hurting family member whose loved one is in ICU, and we have no clue whether or not they're going to pull through. Mercy is meeting someone at the door and escorting them into worship, just giving them a helping hand. Mercy is opening up your heart and your home to be a foster family. Mercy is demonstrated through deacons and life groups who minister to the needs of widows and widowers and homebound. Mercy is when someone buys a new battery for a single mom who did not have enough cash to buy it on her own. You get the idea, right? Physical acts, compassion and action, this is mercy. Now, this side of mercy is going to be easier than the next one. Because the other side of mercy is attitude toward others. Attitude of forgiveness. Refusing to hold a grudge. Refusing to harbor resentment. Refusing to capitalize on someone else's failure or weakness. Refusing to gossip or publicize somebody else's sin. Merciful describes one who forgives another who has wronged them. Now we know it's not within us to do that. That's not a natural thing for us, is it? It's an inspiring display of this uh, forgiving aspect that we read about in the Old Testament with Joseph and his brothers. The younger son, Joseph, the one the father loved and gave him a coat of many colors, one his brothers despised, and they were envious and jealous of him. And they thought to do away. When he went out to check on them, they threw him in in a well, a cistern that was dry. They were thinking about killing him, and then the opportunity arose that they could sell him into slavery, but as God would have it... God protected and he preserved and he raised him up in in a household of Potiphar. He raised him up and he became a chief among them. And when Joseph was there and famine was real and his family was starving, he had an opportunity to get even or to show mercy. And we know the story that he showed mercy toward his brothers who wronged him. in Genesis 15, verse 20, he said, You intended harm to me, but God intended it for good. Corey Tim Boom recalls a life moment where she was standing to share her testimony and talk about the love of God over her and the forgiveness of God that he has taught her. In her book, The Hiding Place. She talked about a post-war meeting with a guard from Ravensbrück where her sister had died and she herself had been subjected to some horrible indignities. It was in a church service in Munich that Corey was standing and speaking of God's love and God's forgiveness for anyone, and she spotted him a familiar face, and then she put it together. It's one of those guards that she first met in the shower room door. He was one of the first actual jailers that did indignities toward her. And she said suddenly that rush of emotions and memories was all in her mind again. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy, her sister's pain-blanched face. After church was over and after her sermon or lesson or teaching on love and forgiveness, don't quote me out of context. It's bad you have to stop and think that way. Isn't it? Corey recounted the event. said, he walked right up to me with a big smile on his face. He said, isn't it true and isn't it good That God can forgive us all. And he stuck out his hand to shake her hand. And she said she couldn't move. She thought she had forgiven. In fact, she had in her heart and mind. But when that moment came, my arm wouldn't move, she said. And she began to pray, oh, dear God, please forgive me. She began to understand those emotions that are welling up within her were unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness. And she called out to her Savior, I can't, I can't do this And she tried to stick her arm up, but it was stuck. And then finally she'll pray, oh, dear God, forgive me. As much wrong as this man has done against me, Father, it is no different than my sin against you. God, forgive me. Help me. And she said the Spirit of God helped her raise her hand. She shook his hand. She said then there was like energy that went from her body to his And there was a great freedom that overwhelmed her when she was able to shake his hand and agree with him. Yes, our Savior is a merciful Savior who can forgive any of us and all of us. Forgiveness is possible for the most grievous of wounds. And there's some of you that are sitting in this place and online this morning, and there have been some very bad things done to you and hurtful things done toward you. And perhaps there is a bitterness and a resentment that resides within you, and that only destroys you. It is, all, but by the grace of God and the mercy of God that has already touched your life that you're able to release that forgiveness to that other. But Jesus said, this blessed life is a life that is blessed for those who are able to be merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Does that make sense? In Jesus' day and time, this was foreign language. In the Roman culture, mercy was not strength. Mercy was weakness. In his day and time, it was not an attribute to to strive for. It was an attribute to bury and run from. And so Jesus is calling those in his culture to live differently and live an upside-down life by being merciful Going against our own attitude, against our own will to be merciful and forgiving to those around us. That's tough, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful. Number two on your notes, the promise. For they shall obtain mercy. The reason the merciful are blessed is because they shall obtain mercy. The word they here, like every other beatitude to this point, is emphatic in the Greek. It's an emphatic pronoun, which reads like this Blessed are the merciful, for they, the merciful, and they alone shall obtain mercy. Be careful not to misinterpret the word of God here. God's word, Jesus, is not teaching that we get mercy by being merciful. We do not get salvation by being good. Rather, the teaching is for those who have received mercy, then they alone are able to obtain mercy. They alone are able to give it. James 2.13 says it differently, same principle. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Jesus said, in Matthew 6, forget, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Many have completely missed the point, and you will too if you're not careful, supposing that this beatitude teaches that one can earn God's favor or God's mercy by performing acts of mercy. Such an idea is contrary to the rest of Scripture, which teaches that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. What what this beatitude means is that those who are truly God's children, truly born again, are truly objects of His mercy already, and then they themselves will be able to be merciful to those around them. So showing mercy is evidence that we have already received mercy. Are you with me? All right, good. Here's the questions. Do we show mercy to those who are physically and economically in distress? When we see it, are we just stirred with maybe empathy or compassion? Or are we moved to do something to help? Do we show mercy through forgiveness toward those who have wronged us? Jesus gave gave us an alarming parable in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful slave. The slave owed his master an immense sum, millions in our money. The debt was impossible for the servant to repay, so he pleaded with the master and to his surprise... With astonishment, the master had compassion, forgave him the entire debt, millions of dollars. Incredibly, however, the wicked slave went out, found one who who held uh, a debt to him, far less, we could say thousands of dollars, and he had him thrown in prison because of the debt he had not repaid. When the other slaves reported this injustice, To their master, he summoned the wicked slave or servant. And this is what he said. Listen carefully. You wicked servant, I counseled all the debt of yours because you begged me to do so. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which he never could. This is how my heavenly Father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Hard words. Needed words. Words of warning to the religious crowd. Those who attend church. Those who have all the Sunday school answers. Those who might outwardly lead a moral life but inwardly hold deep grudges and unforgiveness toward others. Jesus warns that the one who will not forgive a spouse, a child, a parent, a neighbor, a former business associate, a boss, an employee, regardless of their pleas, but there's an adamant refusal to forgive. That's dangerous ground to be on. He warns the one who nourishes hatreds and cherishes animosities and otherwise lives in settled malice. That's a miserable person, by the way. And Jesus calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Let me give you just some clarification. I don't think this warning is for those who find that struggle of forgiveness to when we choose to forgive. And honestly, we counsel the dead and we roll that back over to the Lord. But when we see them, like Corey Timboon saw that man who had abused her, when we see them, then all of a sudden there's some emotions of bitterness and anger that rise up within us. We can't help that. That's real. That's a ebb and flow. But at that moment when those emotions come that we know are bad, that's what we, when we do what Corey Tim Boom did. Oh, dear Jesus, I can't handle it. I can't forgive. I can't let go. But oh, dear Jesus, help me in this moment. And every time we cry out to our merciful Father, He is merciful to us and allows us to extend mercy when we want to hold on to our grudges. The question is, do we want to let go? Do we want to honor our Savior enough to be forgiving as He has been forgiving toward us? Do we want to be merciful or we want to get even and hold that grudge? That grudge hurts no one but me. There may be also some who find forgiveness difficult because the injury is too soon. Strive toward forgiveness. Strive toward being merciful And I don't think Jesus is is talking about those where it's real fresh and real raw and you're just not there yet. But let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you to respond in mercy and forgiveness just as Christ has responded to you. Showing mercy is evidence that we have received mercy. So if we don't show mercy, what's the evidence that we're giving? We're no different. We have nothing different. We operate within the flesh. That's all we have to give. I want to ask you, would people around you ever say about you that you're a merciful person? Hey, dear Baptist, we need to grow in mercy. Hey, dear Southern Baptist Convention, we need to grow in some mercy. Because being merciful reflects our merciful Savior. Being unmerciful reflects a hard heart of my flesh. There was a young lady whose dad had been killed. He was a police officer in Mesquite, Texas. 18 years old, she stood to speak at her dad's memorial service. Her words say it best, so I want you to watch this video of what being merciful looks like in real life.
1: I remember having conversations with my dad about him losing friends and officers in the line of duty. I have heard all the stories you can think of, but I've always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I didn't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me. But as it's happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion. And part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father, but I can't get any, of, any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might change if the man continued to live, but when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road I'd get to spend some time with a man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus.
0: Blessed are the merciful, they will attain mercy. That looks a whole lot like Jesus. What do others see when they look at us? Let's pray. Father, we come and we all confess. We stand in need of mercy. As your children, we have already received it because all we deserve is death and hell as a result of our sinful rebellion. Well, Father, your word assures us you loved us first while we were yet sinners. and You demonstrated that love through Jesus who showed us what real love looks like on the cross. If there's anybody online or in this place this morning, whoever doubts your love, may they understand your mercy. None of us deserve your salvation. None of us deserve being forgiven. None of us are entitled to anything before a holy and righteous God. But we strut around in our pride. We act like everybody around us owes us something. And Father, we even strut toward you. We get mad when you don't do what we want you to do, when we want you to do it, the way we ask you to do it. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit of God. To how merciful our Father is. And help us to see our own sinful condition for what it really is. And through that lens, help us respond to those who are less than perfect, sinners already, and who can be very hurtful. But oh, how fresh mercy is in a culture that loves to hate loves to criticize loves to condemn oh God forgive us grow us in mercy For some, today, that may mean they surrender their life to Jesus as Savior. Perhaps there's someone sitting in here asking the question, can this Jesus love me after all that I've done and after what I have done? I've cursed him. I've sinned. The magnitude of my sin is great. Oh, dear Holy Spirit, let them see the cross. Let them see an innocent Savior who died in their place and shed His blood without spot and without blemish to rescue and redeem them, bring new life to them in Christ. For those of us who are way too comfortable in our Christianity, who edge toward entitlement from the church, from the people of God, from Father, you yourself, forgive us. Grow us in mercy that others may know you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Hey, good morning, and thank you so much for uh, taking the time this morning and worshiping with us. It has been a joy to have you uh, as a part of our worship service this morning. Hey, as we talk about every week, we want to encourage uh, not only those that are on campus with us, but, of course, you as well that are worshiping online to uh, take whatever the next step is uh, for you personally. Uh, The best way that you can do that, of course, you can go on our website and you can uh, uh, find ways that you can take a next step. It could be to give, it could be to find a place to serve, uh, find a group. Something along those lines. And so we want to encourage you to go onto our website, lbcchelsea.com, and find an area where you want to take that next step. Uh, If you want to send us a text, that's perfectly fine, too. You can text the word NEXT to 205-236-236. 3717, and we'll help you with whatever next step it is that you want to take. Uh, maybe next week, uh, the next step for you will be to come on campus and worship with us uh, here uh, at, at one of our venues, either in the worship center or the east venue. Whatever it is, we want to help you. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.